why don't we, speaking of praying, why don't we pray to get started here? Lord, you are an amazing God. And I pray, Lord, that uh, through your word today, that we start to understand that you love us. No matter what, no matter what we're going through, you love us. I think, you know, many of us can, can ask why, Lord, why? But I think back to Job and, and just everything that he went through and David went through and many, many other historical figures in the Word, in, in the Bible, in our, in our history, struggled at different times through, through stuff that's happening around them. It's not their fault. It's just the way life works because of this fallen world. But you were there in the midst of it all. And I pray that we feel that today. Please bless us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's get into the word this morning. We're going to be in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. And it starts out, well, I want to back up a little bit into verse 15. It says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ uh, or justified uh, by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't mean that Christ promotes sin. Absolutely not. If I, re, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law I died to, or, 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 or through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live in faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness can be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been uh, covering a story of a, a cluster of churches that, were, uh, that we've been dealing with and that Paul was dealing with. And, and these were churches that Paul had started on his first missionary journey going from city to city along the Roman road, both Jews and Gentiles coming to, to know the Lord. Churches were starting, and even though there's... They did it again. They set off the alarm. <laughs> I turned off the alarm this morning, and they still set it. And unfortunately, they're going to have to turn it off. There we go. Fun. Live service. That's how it works, I guess, you know. But here Paul was going from city to city along the Roman road. Both Jews and Gentiles were coming to, to know the Lord. Churches were starting, even though persecution was heavy. Paul, at one point, he was stoned to the point where they, they literally thought he was dead. And, and by the power of God, he gets up and he goes back into the city. And, and Paul, uh, you know, so, so Paul was personally invested in these churches. And after Paul left men, uh, you know, after he left, he, he left men in the town. And we're trying to teach different versions of, uh, 
uh, of the gospel. So Paul left those in charge and they were teaching and they were doing good. But these other guys were coming in trying to teach this different version. And, and they were trying to add to the truth. The Gentiles needed to know the, the full truth, in other words. The Jewish way to go to God they would, they would teach. And this is what they were teaching. It was cross plus law equals justification. Justification is being made right in the eyes of God. Trying to, basically, they were trying to go backwards and adding uh, the law back into everything. That was their goal. But Paul was teaching what? Cross equals justification. The differences are monumental. It all comes down to human effort. Cross plus human effort equals justification is what they were trying to teach. Specifically, you had the cross plus circumstances, uh, circumcision plus observation of the Jewish food laws plus observation of the religious Jewish holidays equals justification. That's what they were trying to, to wrap up. And as this pretty bow, as soon as Paul left, they would come back and they would say, but here's everything else he didn't teach you. So we can see how this all gets complicated. And Paul says as his response no way. You cannot go down this road. If you do, where does it end? It's like going on a vacation with my family. You know, we like to go down to Southern California to Legoland and the beach and the zoo and, and, and visit our, you know, some family down there. And, you know, but there's only so much room in our car. So we have a list. And my policy is if it isn't on the list, Tell me, and I might consider putting it on the list, but if it isn't on the list, it doesn't go. Because if we didn't have the list, man, the, the car would just be packed and overfilled more than it already is. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to overfill Jesus and add on all these things that weren't on the list. Paul is saying, here is the only list I need. Jesus Christ. That is it. Anything else, you're overfilling it and it doesn't work. We don't add onto the cross our human effort, our human work, uh, our, our toil doesn't get added to it. If we add all this, the gospel ceases to be the gospel. The good news is no longer the good news. Jesus' gospel is about what Jesus did and what God has done for you and I. Not about what we've done for him. It is all about God. It has nothing to do with us. Paul says in chapter 1, if you add to it, you literally become cursed. So we must refuse and reject anything that is added onto the gospel so we don't lose the cross. This all leads up to the last two points in chapter 2, or the last three points in, in uh, chapter 2. And, and, you know, Paul takes what is wrongly being taught and sets him straight. So their foundation is based on truth, the original gospel. So he tries to be clear and concise in these last few verses as to what the gospel is all about. The identity of a Christian person as I follow Christ, as I am full of grace. It is who I am and who I am becoming. See, we have this, this concept that we, we have to figure out in our lives. And the concept is this. Who am I? Do I live by grace or do I live by the law? What is my identity? 
See, it should be the path of grace that leads us to Christ. But today I want to focus on these last two verses of of chapter 2. So uh, going back to verse 20 again, it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live is in, in this body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I do, it, 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 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if my righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the perfect description of what it is like to live in the gospel. So the question is, who am I? What is my identity? What and who am I becoming? Three attributes we need to focus on here. And I normally don't do the typical three-point sermons where, where I think of three great points I want to make. And I, I search through the scriptures and I, I find, you know, scripture to match those. And, you know, I like to go verse by verse. That's just who I am. That's how I learn. I'm not saying one way is wrong, one way is right. It just seems logical to me, okay? But these are the three points that, that really stuck out to me in these verses this week. And these are really not new. But there's something we need to be reminded of ever so often. They're fundamental to who we are. Point number one, who am I? I am loved. The Son of God loves me. This is who I am in the gospel of grace. Notice what Paul says here. He says, me, Christ lives in who? In me. In 13 letters from Paul, he uses the word love 115 times. In all of those times that it's used, only one time is it directed toward me. As in the third person singular for those, you know, English people out there. The, you know, the, the teachers and so forth. The love of God is personal and relational. We see throughout Scripture how God has loved uh, or has love for the whole world. You know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, uh, gave His own, uh, His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In other places, we see how God has love for the church or or groups of Christians in the New Testament. He tells this church, "I really love you guys." In First John, we read about all, you know how we Christians are supposed to love one another. This is how those outside the community know who we we really are and and that we are really real because we love each other. This is why uh, for those that are that are listening online for the first time or the last few weeks, uh, we have a thing called Tulare United where where we have all these different churches within the church community come together and say, you know what, you may worship a little differently than than our church does, but you're still my brother and sister of Christ because our foundation is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, not do we sing songs or not sing songs? Do we, do we worship in this style or, or, or that style? You know, our foundation is Jesus Christ. So the people of Tulare really know that we love each other. It's, it's not just our, our personal church community, but the broader Christian community. People in the churches, you know, down the street and in other denominations. But it's also true that Jesus doesn't just love globally. Doesn't just love in groups. He loves us individually. Everything that goes into our understanding of love, that is what God has for us individually. Do you believe this? That's a question that you need to answer. Do you believe this? Some of you popped in here today to listen online and maybe it was to hear this one thing. 
You are loved by Jesus. The one we know is God. The one that we know is this omnipresent. He's all-knowing. His, his magnificence, his power, his glory, his supremacy. We can't completely grasp who he is. He is perfect and good. He is supernatural. He is amazing. I mean, his bigness. I mean, if you want to bring it down to words like that, I mean, he's just, he's overwhelming. This is the Christ that we serve. But guess what? He's not too mighty or big or powerful or too filled by his glory and his supremeness, whereby you and I get overlooked or passed by. See, the simple fact is that Jesus, who hung on the cross, loves you where you are right now. And the most amazing thing about this is that love does not come with all these conditions attached to it. As a parent of a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, I get a sense of this ever so often, especially during this quarantine time. I have one son who gets up at the crack of dawn each day. Doesn't matter what time he goes to bed. Kind of like me, I guess. I mean, I usually wake up between 4.30 and 5. Uh, sometimes I sit in bed and read my phone. Sometimes I get up and actually start working. Lately, it's been reading my phone more often with the kids home and so forth. But once my son gets up, he is waiting for one of us to come out of the room. And then it's nonstop until he goes to bed. He just talks and talks and talks. He's just curious about everything, which is what I really love about him. I mean, he, he's learning all about photography right now. He's searching out different things with the camera. And then he'll go to a different subject. He loves NASA. He does all these wonderful things. And he tells me all this stuff that I apparently have no idea of. Because he gives me all the details. Every single detail. And if you start to walk off, he will follow you and keep talking. Dad, 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 dad. I mean, it's wonderful he wants to talk to us. And, and I haven't even talked about the other daredevil son that watches, over, you know, watches the old one and copies him. Oh, you think you can jump over that? Here, hold my chocolate milk. I'll show you I can do that too. And as good as all that is, the best part of the day is when they go to bed. Because we're exhausted, and we lay down on our bed, we've had a long day, and this is when Lisa and I look at each other, and we say, man, God has blessed us. But before we can actually say that, we have to lean up a little bit, because usually our youngest is sleeping in the middle of us in the bed, you know, and then we just say, man, God has blessed us. You see, God has blessed us. Our first child was a miracle uh, uh, for us with all the complications we have. For you guys that don't know, my, my wife had a lot of uh, complications and, and almost died in childbirth. And then we wanted to have a second child, and, and the second child was a, you know, it wasn't happening. And then this, uh, the, the second child that we do have now is a, a completely unexpected gift from God through adoption. And I do mean unexpected. We weren't looking to adopt. We talked about it. We looked at finances and it just, just, you know, it was hard, you know. Then a young lady approached us about adopting her unborn child. When the, you know, when it, when it finally came down to this, when the house kind of closes down at night, my wife and I, we feel so blessed. And we know how much we love our kids. The love where you know it's real and true and right. This is just but a, a tiny fraction of the type of love that God has for you and for me. 
This type of love that will change you, will satisfy you like nothing else in this world. It will transform you and make, a, make you a different person day by day. Now, some of us come from different backgrounds where, where love has been more conditional or maybe love was, was never really spoken about. You know, some parenting styles uh, basically say, don't talk to the kids about love. Uh, you know, they don't want to swell their heads or something like that. I don't believe that's the right way to parent. But one of the things that we considered when we adopted our youngest was whether to have an open adoption or not. And it really boiled down to one thing. Love. Why would you not want to include more people who will love this child? So if the birth father and the birth mother or, or, or the, the grandparents want to love him in a meaningful way, then we were all for that. And, and, and the Lord made a situation where it was like that. And In our situation, it works. In other situations, it may not work. But love is such an impactful force in our lives. We do not need love deficits in our lives. And the amazing thing is, when you meet Jesus, even if you have a love deficit, he fills it up. And the rules are all completely rewritten. We can take two paths in life. One of obedience or one where we do what we want. And when Jesus shows us his love, and, you know, this automatic thing happens. We desire to live obediently for Jesus. And this is the love that we have, uh, that we need to get back to, really. The first love that when we received, uh, or when we accepted and received Christ, uh, because it can be, you know, can get drowned out in our everyday life. We have all this extra stuff happening. Come to find out, we can't do it all. We begin to equate God's love and how well we are spiritually day to day. You see my point? God's love, how am I spiritually? God's love, how am I spiritually? It's a good question to ask. Am I obeying God to get love from Him? Or another way, is my spiritual performance directly related to how much love I feel from Him? See, if this is the case, don't worry. It's kind of common when we realize it. We need to kind of recenter ourselves to the true north. We have to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. The gospel is never something that we graduate from. It's something that, that as we mature, we start to understand the deeper level of God's love and desire in our life. And this is our goal. But that is not all of who I am. So first off, I am loved. Secondly, who am I? The Apostle Paul says, I am paid for. In verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You see, the crucifixion just didn't happen in a global extent because it happened for me. It is personal. It is relational. It is the difference between going to, to listen to someone speak you know, in a big arena or somebody who comes home and, and sits in your kitchen table. We see that in this passage that, that, the love, the, uh, you know, that the love of God expresses itself in action. 
This love from God is not just some mystical, abstract uh, feeling. He gave himself up for me. He gave. It's, in the Greek, it's paradontos. It's a unique, world, a unique word, a, a Roman legal word that they would use in court. It means I'm handing, over, uh, handing someone over to, to Roman custody. So when, you know, so when Jesus gave himself, paradontos, it means he chose to give himself over. A divine choice. God's love is sovereign. He didn't just get, get pushed around in the Roman legal system and, and forced to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus. He gave himself. Not so later on we could learn a whole bunch of rules to follow. The Christ was about love. He gave himself for me. This is something inside of us. We naturally resist. We don't like to be indebted to anyone. I mean, it means that we lose some sort of control. And the cross can trigger this response like, okay, well, what can I do for you now, God? You've done something for me, so what can I do for you? And it's kind of a tit-for-tat thing. It's, it's kind of a, a repaying thing. But it's not always a thing that is done out of love, but out of a debt that we think we owe. We want to keep control. But we need to give up that control because that control is all about pride. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All this anxiety we have right now, we need to cast it onto him. Because humility, it is a gift from God. It goes hand in hand with the fact that he paid for me. Well, the third attribute is something that's very wonderful and comforting and humbling. It is this. It is that Christ lives in me. So first one, I am loved. Second one, I am paid for. And third, he lives in me. The law doesn't live in me. And Paul says that it's not really the law's purpose. The purpose of the law is to let you know something is wrong. But it has limited power. It doesn't solve what is wrong. It's, and we've talked about this before and stuff. You know, an x-ray shows you that the bone is broken. But does the x-ray heal you? No. It's the first step in the, in the process of that healing. You find out what's wrong. Oh, you broke your arm right here. See, the law, the law points out our brokenness. The first step is, is getting us to the gospel, the good news. And Jesus is the doctor. He is the healer. See, the law doesn't live in me. But Jesus Christ, he literally says, I am coming to live in you. That's the wonderful reality of who I am. There's nothing more to it. Jesus comes and lives in me. He, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't ever just move out, but we need to allow him to, you know, room to, to take over in us, to direct us. It's called to, to the indwelling is, is kind of what it's called. Verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a fascinating reality when you come to Christ. 
Paul calls it the old man, the old person, the old, the old me died. And the new me, it starts to look like Jesus a little bit more. If you knew the old me, you wouldn't recognize me now. But because Jesus has started to change me. He's living his life through me as a yielded vessel, as someone who has said, Jesus, take my life. Jesus said that this is good news. In order for you to save your life, you need to lose your life. And if you lose your life, you will gain new life, which is eternal life. So this is one of the amazing characteristics to to be one of Jesus' followers. That whoever trusts Christ, uh, we we become like him. And as we yield our old self, our old willful self, our hopes, our dreams, our illusions of control. This last week I read an article in USA Today that that talked about five different ways to, to have control during this time of quarantine. One of the ways that they suggested was pretend you are in control. (laughs) I love that. But as a Christian, I don't need to to realize that control is an illusion because I need to follow Jesus. I need to follow his ways, his desires, his attitude, his heart. You see, our future, our thought, our desires are all through Jesus. It is a place to, to, you know, a place of of all the, the... of all that, in the place of all that, there's room for Jesus to do his work in our life. Does that mean that we lose all personality and personhood? You know, all our personality is gone? No. Our personality stays. God made me a, as an individual and he wants me to stay as an individual. Paul was the same Paul later in life. He still had that, that go get him attitude, uh, that, that I, I'm all in attitude. But there's also a major change in our life. It's a mixture of what Jesus is with us. We don't become a bland person that's swallowed up in the, in the Jesus collective. You know, kind of like the 1984 Apple commercial, everyone walking around doing the same thing. Well, okay, well, I show my age there. How about this? I, I'll, I'll come a little younger here. Uh, the Lego movie. Just follow the directions and everything will be okay. You know, I get to sing this song. Everything is awesome. You know, they, they just, just follow the directions. We don't become like this when we give our lives over to Jesus. He uses our underlying personality, the person he made us to be, for a specific purpose in his kingdom. We are all individuals that when mixed with Jesus, become this wonderful, purposeful person in God's kingdom. I love the mixing metaphor here because, I mean, my, my wife and, and many of you guys, you know, you start doing a little more cooking at home and so forth. And we, we cook a lot at home to begin with. But now every time my wife gets out a, a, a you know, a mixing bowl, my, my youngest says, I want to help. And he comes over and he gets in his little, he, we have this little kitchen uh, platform that he can get on. And he gets up there and he helps. And, and he sits there and measures. And our older one gets up there and they help. And they all measure and, and stuff, learning all this uh, wonderful stuff. And, and, and out of that mixture comes some wonderful bread or, or, or wonderful. We did peanut butter cookies last night. So, I mean, they were just, oh, man, I can't wait till I get home, you know. All that stuff is mixed together. For a purpose in the war household. But as we're mixed together with Christ, as we're mixed together with each other, we have a wonderful purpose in God's household, in God's kingdom. The enemy says that we become clones. 
We all believe the same thing. We all act the same way. We stop being like the, uh, like the world and we start wearing the same clothes and, and, and they are all just lame. But that's a big fat lie. Because the opposite is what takes place. Every gift we have, every personal feature of our personality, our personal experience, our history, all goes into this mixture and it all gets mixed together with this, this person, you know, called Jesus. And Jesus takes it all and he sanctifies it. All the good stuff starts to shine through. And every bit of you shines through. And the others start to see Jesus through it. All we have to do is to allow him to have control. And that's what we call disciples. That's what we call discipleship. A person who willingly gives themselves over to the master. They're still a person, but more than that, they're a sanctified person that allows the the river of life to flow right through a a dry and thirsty world. See, religion really does produce very bland, boring clones. But Jesus, he's not religion. He produces wonderful, caring, exciting individuals who can change others into wonderful, caring, exciting Jesus followers. See, God loves variety. There are rainbows, there's calculus. Did you know there are over 12,000 species of ants in this world? How do I know that? My youngest told me. He learned it from a YouTube video. God loves variety because he is not boring. The Lord loves variety and we become who we are meant to be through Christ. So who am I? I am loved, I am bought, and I am filled. This is who I am in the life-giving wonder of the gospel. As we close today, here are a couple of diagnostic questions for you. Because some of us need to be kind of nudged back to the center of gravity, which would be Jesus. So the first question, am I obeying God to get love for him? Or am I obeying God just to get God? To be filled by his wonderful ways? Secondly, second question, am I obeying God to to pay him back for what he's done for me? Or am I motivated by a grateful joy? Third question, does my prayer life only consist of asking God for stuff? Or does it include adoration and appreciation of who God is and what he's done for us in our own lives? See, these, these questions can help direct us. And direct you as you think about that you were loved, that you were bought, and that you were filled with Jesus. Amen? I think that deserves an amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for for your love. We're so thankful that you went to the cross and and you literally bought us. You, You paid your life for us. And I pray that through that, 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 uh, through your action on the cross, that it changes us to the point where we just, we want to serve you. We want to give our lives fully over to you. and We want to be directed by your desires, your attitudes. That this life is not about us. It's not about our family. It's not about our community. It's about individuals. It's about those that are, that are out there that need to hear the loving grace of God, the, the good news. That when we come out of this quarantine time, 
that love may abound to those around us. Not just our, our Christian families, but those that are out there, those individuals that we see, that your love shines through to the point where they want to say, how did you make it through? And we can say, by the grace of God. By the grace of God. No matter what situation I was in, I held on to God. Jesus saved me and is saving me and will always save me. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and your family and your neighborhood as we're in this quarantine time. May his face never turn from you. May he bless you beyond anything you could ever imagine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day.